0: What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their. <laughs> Have you gotten Rommel yet? Welcome into the govals 247 podcast. I'm Ben McKee, joined by Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown on this edition of the govals 247 podcast, the Monday week of Florida edition of the podcast and it doesn't get much better than this one because it's Florida Week, And and we know what Florida week means around these parts. And and I was thinking as I was driving earlier to and from campus, how this is one of the best parts of football season, just that, that feeling of game week and especially the the big game weeks, Florida week, Alabama week, George weeks, Georgia weeks. uh, They, they just hit a little bit differently and, and it certainly hit a little bit differently for me this morning as i was prepping for monday of florida week and i'm sure mr callahan uh it, it feels similar for you
1: absolutely yeah it, it does feel different and especially now with tennessee being at the, at the point it is in its program you know this this game always has had a different feel to it but you know it takes on even greater significance because tennessee is coming off an 11 win season has established itself as, as as kind of a top contender in the east so this game isn't you know for for years it was about Tennessee trying to get over the hump and trying to get back in the discussion now they're back in the discussion and this game is about kind of solidifying Tennessee's spot you know toward the top of the division and um, for for the for the final year of the SEC East but but regardless it's an important game always is because of the place it's at in the schedule it's a tone setter for both of these programs and and yeah it just just has a different feel even even compared to a to a you know the week of the season opener or anything like that because you know it's going to be uh, it, it's it's gonna it won't be boring no matter what happens it never is with these two teams and it's it's always just a little bit different um, for those big games like you said.
0: Well, and this one's a, a little extra weird, I guess is the right word, Patrick, because Tennessee and Florida it'll always be a rivalry game, and uh, there will certainly be plenty more additions of this rivalry game. Uh, but it's the last game between Tennessee and Florida as SEC East divisional opponents.
2: Yeah, now they're gonna play next year. Uh, that the, those schedules uh, have already been released. They're gonna Florida will come back to, to Neyland Stadium in 2024. After that, we'll see. But we gotta, you know, we gotta see if the conference is gonna go. Uh, if it goes to nine games, what, what, what happens with this series? But, um, yeah, to your point, man, I was, I was scrolling back through the media guide on on Sunday trying to figure out the last time that uh you had a ranked Tennessee team playing an unranked Florida team in this game uh by my by my research it was 1971 uh, i mean this this has been a uh a series that has played every year i think since 1990 and man you look at some of those matchups and you know, i mean you're talking top 5 games 4 versus 2 15 versus 1 um you know top 5 top 10 top 15 matchups regularly um and and a lot of great games probably not a lot of great memories for tennessee fans tennessee fans probably aren't excited about this week cuz florida week is always when the stress starts given that uh, Tennessee's only won two of the past 18 games in the series and hasn't won in Gainesville since 2003. I was in the eighth grade in 2003. Don't know what y'all were doing, but um, yeah, this eight. is you know, yeah, for um, you
1: know,
2: to go back to last season, um, Wes was in his 20s. Um, to go back to first. last season, you know, it seemed like Tennessee had so many big games week after week. Uh, they haven't had any yet. This is the first one of this season, so there's that excitement and. Uh, I'm sure inside the program, too, there's a different level of intensity and focus and, and maybe a different bounce in your step from, from Josh Hyplon down to his players and, and, and how they go about this week and
0: getting ready to go on the road and and try to win a big game at night against a rival. Absolutely. And we will come back on this edition of the pod towards the tail end and, and revisit this conversation and, and the storyline that is not winning in the swamp since 2003. We'll touch on that before we get out of here. But we do need to put a bow on this Austin awesome P game and that will also tie into what we learned on Monday of Florida Week. Spoke to Josh Heupel, spoke to the tight ends, McCollin Castle and Jacob Warren, and also spoke to Elijah Herring, uh, a Tennessee linebacker who is quite important for this defense at the moment. Uh, We will obviously start on the offensive side of things because that seems to be the biggest storyline around Tennessee football right now, Joe Milton, and the passing attack, And, and Patrick, we'll let you lead off And hopefully you can be as successful as Ronald Acuna is being for the Braves this season. Uh, Kind of two-prong here for you. First and foremost, Josh Heupel continues to say that Joe Milton is making the correct decisions. uh, And he also continues to say that it's not just Joe Milton. That is obviously a conversation right now. There are some fans who are already out on Joe Milton for whatever reason. I think that is so premature and and shouldn't be uttered out of the mouth of, of anybody Um, But it's yes, Joe needs to make better throws here and there, but the receivers and skill position players need to step up, make a play, catch the football. Uh, So the passing attack as a whole just simply needs to perform better and, and make more plays, which also leads into Jacob Warren on Monday saying that the offense did get. Together, I know it's been reported as a team meeting and then that may be a fair description, but Jacob Warren said that it's it's not what the team meeting that we typically hear in sports. It wasn't to that level. It was just the offense getting together and recognizing that they need to play better. And Joe Milton and the leadership on the offense, they stepped up and they said that.
2: Yeah, um, you know, the, I think some of these meetings or these playerly meetings always get way more attention than. Uh, they probably deserve. Uh, they're they're kind of blown out of proportion a lot of times, in my opinion. Um, and, and the way Jacob Warren put it is that they just kind of got together and hashed it out. And I, I think they all know that they're not playing how they're capable of. And um, to your point, Ben, it's it's not just Joe. Uh, you know, we're already getting questions about is his lease shorter and all this stuff. And um, it's because of what Milton has done in his past, and it's because you got a, a five star and Nico Ialaviava right behind him. So. Um that that's going to be you know we kind of probably jokingly had a conversation back over the off season of how long it would take before some of this stuff started and and yeah um you know i I think fans don't want to hear the word execution, but that's you know it's it's what Tennessee has to do they have to go execute better um they they have to throw it better, they have to catch it um and they need to protect better and um to hear Josh Heupel talk about it it's it's on all parts of the offense um you know you go back and look at the. Austin P. Game, and you could, you'll get different opinions on you know, certain plays that weren't completed. Were those bad throws? Were they bad catches? Um, you know, things like that. I, I do think that, that Milton, uh, the, the third squirrel white that was high, that was a bad throw. The third McCown McCall, Castles that he dropped, that was a bad throw. He obviously missed Brumacore in the end zone when he had him open and uh, went with the 102 mile an hour fastball outside um but the rest i thought were catchable um and certainly Tennessee's wide receivers would say they were catchable too um you know they they've they've caught who knows how many passes from Joe Milton over the past several months you know that's if they get their hands on it they're supposed to catch it so um they just need to get um they've just been a little bit off and they just need to get it clicking i don't know if that's an extra throwing session this week i don't know if that's coming together and and having something like they had on sunday or whatever day it was um but clearly they know that they have to get on the same page and, and produce. And, um, and, and, you know, Tennessee's offense is going to get guys running open. We've seen it for two years now. This offense creates space. They scheme things up. There's going to be open receivers. They have to throw it and they have to catch it to where they're able to make those plays and, and, and generate some of the big plays that that we've seen and, and grown accustomed to seeing Tennessee make.
1: And, and the the thing with Joe Milton is, uh, and I, I I do understand where where fans are coming from because the question becomes, can you teach an old dog new tricks? And I think the 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 fans who are are losing faith in Joe Milton are are sort of relying on what he's done in the past, and that is a fair question. I think at this point, you know, we've, we we kind of have this track record of Joe Milton having. He's not, it's not scattershot accuracy. I wouldn't say he's an inaccurate quarterback or that his, consistent, uh, his consistency and accuracy is just all over the place. But he's, just not, he, he's not a guy that's made perfect throws all the time. And I think Tennessee fans were obviously pretty spoiled last year by Hendon Hooker, who was really accurate, I think, on most of the throws that he made. So comparing that to Joe Milton, and again, we, we've said it from the start, the, that last year's offense just set an impossible bar for, for this year's team in a lot of ways. And this is one of the ways, um, but because you have, because you have Joe Milton um, with this track record from Michigan, from the first two games of 2021, from, from even last year against Vanderbilt, a game that kind of got shrugged off at the time, but now in hindsight, people I think are looking back to it and saying, see, that's more of what we're seeing now. Um, and the Clemson game looks like the outlier to those people. So um, it, I understand where that's coming from, but I think Josh Heupel's point is, is a very valid one because you look at his track record at Tennessee now and Joe Milton has thrown 16 touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, if he was throwing interceptions, if he was making the wrong decisions and making the wrong reads, it would be a bigger problem. You would be having turnovers. You would be having drives just going nowhere all the time. That That's not the case. They're They're just not making plays as consistently as they could. And that's that's maybe fixable. You know, we'll see how to to what degree it's fixable. But you can certainly see that a quarterback being off just just a little bit here and there is is something that can be that can be addressed. And and to the point that that's probably not being discussed enough, but certainly is being discussed plenty. His receivers have got to help him. Um, he, he quarterback's never going to be perfect on every throw. Hendon Hooker wasn't perfect by by any means. He had his receivers help him sometimes. Joe Milton's got to have that. Now he's also got to help them, I think, and throw a catchable ball. And sometimes that's maybe where where it's hard, is his arm strength maybe makes it tougher to make some of those difficult catches. But it's it's both. It's both sides of this. They just got to fix the passing game in general. Those guys got to, those guys have to be on the same page. And, and you know, you hope if you're a Tennessee fan that this this week and, and that meeting and their discussions kind of help them figure out some things that can that can sort of patch things up because I don't think they're off by a lot. But they're off by enough that it's it's making making the offense kind of um, have 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 some some fits and starts that are just going to make things a problem uh, if it continues down this path.
0: Well, and, and Patrick, I, I was about to hit on exactly what Ryan just said there at the tail end of his answer that it, it doesn't seem like Tennessee is far off in the passing game. Should there be reason for concern moving forward? Should you should you move forward with a raised eyebrow? Yes. But should you be freaking out and and calling for somebody else to play quarterback? Absolutely not. Not right now. If if we've played tennis or played the Florida game out and South Carolina game out and Joe Milton is still struggling, then okay, let's, let's begin to have that conversation. Also because that's the bye week. But I don't think he's far off. I don't think the passing game as a whole is far off. And if you really want to take the glass half full approach, like This is the first time, if we want to talk about Joe Milton's first time as the starting quarterback and then kind of Joe Milton revamped, so going back to the start of last season, in his mop-up duty and garbage time, playing against Vanderbilt, playing against Clemson, and even the Virginia game, to me, Saturday was not what we've seen since he was quote-unquote revamped and and. Uh, I don't want to say retrain, but since he improved going into that second season of him being at Tennessee, I mean, he was a distinctly new, new, new Joe, not old. Joe. Yes, yes, new Joe in two thousand and twenty-two. We we saw more old Joe against Austin P. In my opinion, not that it was all on him, but that was more old Joe, and that was the first time, again, in my opinion, that we've seen. old old Joe because since he quote unquote became new Joe at the start of the the 2022 season Uh, and and I know some people like to talk about the Clemson game and, and the offense faltering here and there to me that was a NFL defensive front getting the better of a Tennessee offensive line and Tennessee not being able to establish the run game that was more so my thoughts on what went wrong at times in that Clemson game not necessarily Joe doing anything wrong So I I do think that that should be viewed as a positive. Since we've got quote-unquote new Joe to start the 2022 season, that's the first time that he's looked like old Joe. And I would expect... That not to be something that we see frequently and week in week out. I think what we saw against Virginia is more of what to expect from Joe Milton in 2023. But when you talk about the passing attack as a whole, I really don't think that they're far, far off. They have the talent and ability to be very, very successful. And Josh Heupel, when meeting with the media today, he continues to hammer that point home of them not being far off. They just need to to give a little little more here and there and the success will come.
2: And he's also said that this is, uh, you know, he's he's seen these guys make plays. And we've seen these guys make plays. I mean, um, you know, we've seen Ramon Keaton make diving catches against Florida. He had a great game against Alabama. Makes you know, A couple of big catches against Clemson. We've seen what Bruce McCoy can do. We've seen what Squirrel White can do. So it's not like I, I don't think these guys are getting, like, stage fright. Um, you know, these receivers, you know, they work really hard. It's one of the hardest working groups on the team. Um, I just don't know if they're pressing, maybe, trying to do too much. Um, you know, and, and this has been sort of a, not a, I don't want to say a run first offense, but the run game has been really good through two games. And so, you know, if, if you're a receiver, you're, maybe you're wondering if, if your opportunities are going to be limited. So maybe you're almost focusing too hard on trying to make a play when you get one instead of just playing. Um, and, and, you know, the, like I said, these guys have worked together. They've, they've worked hard. It's, you know, Milton has thrown countless passes. These guys they know what they can do and they know that they've not done it yet. So, but they got to go out and do it. I would say, Ben, if you know, you were talking about, should be, should people be hitting the panic button on a scale of one to 10? I'm probably about a four. Um, just cause you gotta go see, you gotta go see him do it. Um, I, I, you know, I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days and I'm like, are we really questioning Josh Heupel and his offense? Like, are we worried that it's really not going to work or, or that it's going to struggle? I mean, it never has. I mean, his offenses have been really good every year. He's been a head coach and, um you know it's not like they you know are breaking in a bunch of new guys it, it, so far this starts kind of reminding me a little bit of, of their first season you know they kind of were a little bit up and down those first four games and then they come out against missouri and score 45 and they've kind of you know been humming at a really high level ever since and you know maybe this offense is still trying to find itself a little bit like that one was obviously that was the first year everybody was new in the system maybe it's not an apples oranges but well even last it year
0: Patrick, it just kind of feels
2: that way to me, and yeah, to your point, Ben. The I mean, Pittsburgh they, they game,
0: we talked about that on the post game pod on on Saturday. That the last two years that the offense has started out a little bit slow.
2: Yeah, they they you know they they struggled in that game, and then they sort of clicked into gear. What three series into that one, but then in the second half they kind of stunk it up. So um, they just need to get it clicking. And uh, I know for for a lot of Tennessee fans, the swamp has been a house of horrors. So you expect everything that can go wrong will go wrong there. So um, that's not really a, a get right kind of place. The get right game would have been last week when Tennessee got a lot wrong. Um, but uh, this offense, you know, I, I wonder. Uh, we haven't seen some of the creativity and some of the the fun stuff that they've used in, in the past couple seasons. I wonder uh, if we're going to see some more of that stuff uh, in this game. Not not that's not to say Tennessee's been holding stuff back, but um, you know, you, you teams have been playing Tennessee a kind of uh, a, a certain way, um, and, and it's maybe made Tennessee have to be a little bit less sexy. They've had to just run the ball, throw a lot of short passes, just because how that's, that's how they're getting played. So um, at some point, they're going to need to make those easy plays. And, you know, like I said, that, this offense is going to have guys running open. Joe's got to make throws, and, and those guys are going to make catches. And, and once they do that, um, this offense should get back to, to maybe a little, little bit more what we're accustomed to
1: seeing. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Patrick, because I, I think Tennessee's going to see a lot more of what they've seen defensively in these first two games. I think Virginia and, and Austin P. have kind of just dared them to, to to take what's in front of them and, and throw it short, throw it intermediate, and, and made sure they're not going to get beaten deep down the field um, for a touchdown the way so many teams were last year when they played Tennessee. And, and that, that's, that's probably a, a pretty decent approach to take against Tennessee. Now, the counter to that is, Tennessee's space is just going to continue to make it hard for teams to stop the running game. If they're going to defend them that way um, because they've got the receivers out by the sideline because they're um, you know, making sure they don't get beat deep. They're, they're going to give Tennessee some opportunities to run the ball. So if I'm Tennessee, I'm going to take the approach that I'm going to, I'm going to just keep running the ball until, until you show me, you can stop it. I, I think that that it might have to be a run to set up the, the pass kind of offense. And, and that's, that's okay. I think Tennessee can play that way. So I, I wonder if you know at least in the short term, maybe that's the adjustment. Don't I mean? Sure, you've got to fix the passing offense at some point, but just just kind of like they did Saturday night, take what the defense is giving you, and, and in this case, that might be we haven't seen uh, an overexposure of, of, Jab- of Jalen Wright. You know, we saw Jabari Small get a lot of work the other night. You know, this this game is maybe one where you could see Jalen Wright get twenty carries if I'm if, if I'm uh, if I'm Tennessee because I. I'm running the ball until Florida shows they can stop it. And if they're going to make sure I'm not hitting them deep, um, that that's that's kind of the counter is is keep running the ball and and take advantage of those numbers that you're going to have in the box. Um, the the other thing that I'm not sure it's been discussed enough, probably uh, just because the, the 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 drops by other guys and and other misplays have have stood out so much. But to me, because I thought he was going to be such a difference maker for this team, I think the, maybe the biggest story for this offense right now is the the lack of. Dante Thornton being a factor I, I just think he to me he's the guy that gave this this group of receivers a chance to be special um, I think they already have a good group without him being much of a, of a presence right now but he's one that because of his just his size his his speed his natural ability he, he sort of gives them that option of stretching the field a little bit more than it. you know obviously Squirrel White can do that but I think his size presents some challenges especially when you get into SEC play I just think you need a guy like him to kind of open things up a little bit down the field. He hasn't gotten worked into the offense much for whatever reason. That to me is uh, the thing that Tennessee really needs to change. They've got to get Dante Thornton up to speed. He, I, don't, gotta, I don't know what it he's is. He's got to catch
2: the. He's got to catch the football. I mean, he had yeah. one of the worst drops in the Austin Peay game, and there's been some other chances for him to make plays with guys on him, and he's just not completed those plays.
1: Yep, and he, he's so he's got to do that, and and. and I don't know if it's just them not having a lot of confidence in him because of those plays that he's missed, and that's, that's why he didn't get a lot of playing time Saturday night, or if he's, he's still just kind of getting up to speed in this offense. But whatever the case, he's to me, he's, he's the guy that might be the key to all this, getting turned around a little bit, is if he can give them a different element at wide receiver, help them stretch the field a bit more, I think that could maybe open things up for the passing game and give them that, give them that big play potential they've kind of been missing the first two games.
0: Well, and it's also not all doom and gloom about this Tennessee offense right now. I, I know it may feel that way because expectations were so high for the passing game and, and they have disappointed through two games. There's no other way to, to word that. They have not been as good as they are capable of through two games. But this offense, I think, is still in a really, really good place because it does feel like the passing game is more than fixable. And it also – like as frustrating as it maybe was for fans to watch against Austin P, I mean they were just off on all those throws. it's It's not like they lack talent or ability. I mean they, they are close to to it completely being a, a different narrative. And then like Patrick said, like you do have to go out and prove it. You, you you just have to this Tennessee team is is better than Florida. it's better than South Carolina. You should be five and0 going into October, and you got to start playing like it in terms of the, the passing attack. Uh, so they they certainly do need to go prove it. But like Patrick mentioned, like Ryan mentioned, I've said it a bunch. West said it a bunch like this. This team right now, it's running the ball at a really, really high level. It, it is one of the better rushing attacks in the country. Jalen Wright's an NFL back. Dylan Sampson is doing great things. Jabari Small is going to do what Jabari Small does. There, there's that it's okay to lean on the run game right now. It it, it really is, although you you may want to see the bombs that we've become accustomed to in these first two seasons under Josh Heupel's offense. The, this rushing attack is more than capable of leading the way and setting the tone, and they're going to have to as this Tennessee offense or the Tennessee passing attack gets figured out. And and I would be very very surprised if at some point they don't. And honestly, that Florida secondary isn't that great. Feels like a good opportunity to to kind of jolt the passing attack uh this weekend against the gators Uh, right
2: some they got some freshman safeties right at least one yes
0: they they, yeah so their corners are are pretty nice they have jason marshall uh the the former five-star corner and, and then opposite of him is uh Jalen Kimber I, I want to say uh the yes Jalen Kimber uh, who is a redshirt sophomore he was once at Georgia then transferred uh to to Florida he's not been able to stay healthy and then the other option at that second corner spot is Devin Moore a true freshman uh, you do have right, a Michigan so, transfer at safety and and Miguel Mitchell a younger guy at the, the the free safety spot but it's not a it's not the Florida secondary that we grew up knowing and understanding what it is so it feels like a good opportunity for for the passing attack to get going this weekend
2: yeah, and, and even when teams are playing, sitting two safeties back and playing cushion, I mean, there were huge spaces for, for Tennessee's guys to, to run into. I mean, we saw it on on Saturday, right? I mean, some of those dig routes, there, there's mm-hmm. gaps between inside the corners, underneath the safeties, behind the linebackers, and uh, they've just got to, you know, if, if Joe needs his guys to settle in an area, they need to settle. Uh, and if they're open, he needs to hit them. I, the, the play to McCallum Castles was... um they did everything right, but throw and catch it right. I mean, that was a really good progression by by Milton. Castle's coming across the middle. He's if he catches that and turns up field, he's got all sorts of room to run into. Um, you know, Brew McCoy on on, on the the uh the play that Milton missed him in the end zone. He's open. I mean, you just sometimes you just gotta make the easy throws and um even if you aren't don't don't have the fifty yard downfield bomb to to Jalen Hyatt kind of plays. Um you've got to hit the, the 10 to 20 to 15 yard range kind of stuff. And um, that, that's a way to to loosen up a defense as well. Because then you can, if they start biting on some of those stuff over the middle, you hit them with double moves, things like that. That's how this offense is built is run the ball, throw a lot of quick stuff. It's supposed to be a lot of quick little hits and then hit you over the top for the home run. That's how it's supposed to go. It's not how it's gone so far. So at some point, Tennessee's got to uh, uh, to, to make that happen for for this offense to really, Blossom and and
1: become what it can be two quick things, but before before we get to Saturday, because I'm sure there's gonna be such a microscope on on Joe Milton that the first sign of trouble some fans during the game and it's an overreaction, obviously, in most cases, the first thing some people are going to be thinking is put Nico in if the offense is struggling. Well, again, I think it can't be stressed enough. Joe Milton's not turning the ball over, and what have we seen so many times when Tennessee goes to the swamp and loses down there? It's turnovers so many times that are the back-breaking thing that changes the game. As long as Joe Milton's taking care of the ball, even if he's missing some throws, even if they're struggling on third down still, which is a really big issue right now for Tennessee, they they're going to be okay. Because keep in mind, this Florida team's not lighting it up right now. I mean, they they bounce back a little bit against McNeese State as they should. But this is not a Florida team that we expect to go out and score a bunch of points. If they still have to work through this for a couple more weeks, it's not the end of the world. I mean, obviously, eventually you've got to get this figured out. But they've got some time, probably, as long as Joe Milton's not making devastating mistakes and, to Josh Heupel's point, making the right reads and making the right decisions. So... Keeps throwing no interceptions. I, I I think you can live with what Joe Milton's given him. He's throwing for 200 yards, throwing touchdown passes. It's not like they're not getting anything out of the passing game. It's just not as good as it could be. Um, the other thing, I, I don't know if this, you know, you don't want to make any excuses, but Saturday was weird. Um, and, and we should give Austin P I think a little bit of credit. Tennessee's coaches did try to tell us leading up to the game that Austin P likes to throw a lot of different looks at you, do a lot of different things. They had a coach that was fired up about that game. I mean, they, It was clearly that team's Super Bowl, and they did some things well. That's not to say Tennessee again. To your point, Patrick didn't have plays there that they could have and absolutely should have made. They did, but I think the way Austin P approached that game going forward on fourth downs, just kind of throw in the kitchen sink at Tennessee, combined with the fact that the game started so strangely with that weather delay, not running through the tee, which is uh, you know something that I think for a game like that can be really important to get players kind of into you know pumped up and into the right mindset. It's a home opener; you're all excited. And then everything just kind of comes to a stop 15 minutes before kickoff. That's a tough way to start a game. And I'm not saying that derailed the offense because I'm sure it didn't because they never got on track. But you do wonder, did that have some sort of impact that maybe just sort of made it feel like an off day? That's one reason I think you can maybe look at that and still be a little bit optimistic that it could be just a one-off thing that, you know, they, they weren't that bad against Virginia. They had some plays they missed in that game, too, but wasn't nearly as many. It could just be a one-game aberration. Those happen sometimes, and we've already seen them in other SEC games this year against FCS opponents.
0: I don't disagree with you, but some of those throws over the middle of the field these these are guys with aspiring NFL dreams and have the talent yeah. and ability to to play in the NFL. And I I don't care if it gets delayed thirty minutes or not. You got to make those throws. Not saying that oh, yeah. you, you're disagreeing with that. I, I I think it's certainly fair to to point out, but uh, a, a pro shows up. Anytime, anywhere, and makes those easy plays that an FCS opponent that was losing forty-two to three at the end of three quarters at Southern Illinois, you make those plays uh, against against that type of competition. So, uh, but certainly fair to point out. I, I don't I don't want to just completely discredit that thought because it 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 did feel weird uh, the the delayed start and um, you not running through the tee. I mean that that is weird. Especially I'm sure they were talking about it all, all week as as well. Uh, it, it's also been weird not to see Cooper Mays out there and, and see Dane Davis getting some reps at center. Uh, but Patrick, I, I think we're going to see Cooper Mays back in the swamp this weekend.
2: Uh, I'm a little, maybe a little bit more pessimistic than you've been Uh Josh Heupel's update on Monday. It was that uh, they, they determined early last week, he wasn't going to play against Austin P, but he was out on the, on the practice field doing a little bit. He warmed up before the game, was in uniform helmet, everything before Austin P uh, they're going to, kind of work him through some practice this week and see how it goes um and remember this is an sec road game so you're you're limited on how who you can bring how many you can bring so um they're gonna have to determine um you know what his chances are of, of playing because if they don't think he's got a shot then uh there's a chance he's not even on the travel roster so um that that's what they've got to sort of evaluate through the week and uh and, and I think Tennessee has to manage that that he hasn't had any really live contact in over a month now. Didn't get hardly anything in, in camp and, and Hypel said Monday that um <clears throat> excuse me, if they don't they they wouldn't play him if they didn't think he was like really ready. So we'll have to see if he's really ready and, and they'll they'll see how the week goes and, and go from there. Obviously if he was back, that would be huge for this offense and, and get them back to, to what they're used to. Um but we'll just have to see how it goes and uh, I think he's got a chance to play, but we'll, we'll just have to kind of see how.
1: Not not to get all coach speaky here, but we'll just have to see how the week goes. Well, and and I think you you have to look sometimes at what Josh Heupel doesn't say. Uh, even though we've we've talked about before, you can't take his injury updates at face value all the time. But what he what he said Monday, and and, and you guys were there. I, I was at the Knoxville quarterback club, uh, listened to a few guys talk. But I, I Josh Heupel sounded optimistic. It it seemed like in his words that he chose. But what he didn't say is I expect. Cooper Mays to play he said I expect him to how do you say it to prepare well and you know have a good week or something like that he he stopped short of saying that he expects him to play so very very noteworthy and, and like you Patrick I'm a little more skeptical we see Cooper Mays but I do think there's at least a chance and that's that's a better outlook going into this game than I thought they would have a couple
0: weeks ago I have interpreted his past two answers about Cooper Mays differently I, I think they have been very telling Uh he he hasn't been given the his last two times he's been asked about Cooper Mays, he hasn't given his usual answer that we'll learn more about the week goes on. I, I I've been personally more surprised of how revealing he's been. I that's how I've interpreted his answer on vol calls last week, saying that Cooper's been practicing with us, but we're gonna hold him out this week to make sure he's a hundred percent next week against Florida. That to me was he could play this weekend, but no need to risk it against Austin P. And then today, I, I kind of felt the same thing. Uh, he said, "Anticipate him having a good week of practice here and being ready." To me, that sounds like a guy that's playing. Being ready, that anticipate him being ready, sounds like a guy that's going to play on Saturday. To me,
2: you got you got to, you got to stay ready instead of getting ready.
0: <laughs> you do have to stay ready uh to to get ready. I I have just been surprised by how revealing he has been with his last two answers about Cooper because as you both have pointed out, he's typically very very guarded with that information. So I'm reading into that as as confidence that he is going to play. Maybe I'm wrong, um but we we will see. I I feel good about him playing, but we shall see indeed and that would certainly be a boost for a Tennessee offensive line that yes, you want him back, but they they've kind of surprised me by where they've been the past two weeks so it will certainly be a welcomed addition and a cherry on top for sure we still have plenty to discuss on this edition of the podcast as ryan just mentioned he was at the quarterback club we're going to get his thoughts on what he learned at the quarterback club we also got to talk about the depth chart because the depth chart did look differently on monday it did it absolutely did and we will talk about all of that on the other side of this break on the go 247 podcast Welcome back into the Go Balls 247 podcast. I'm Ben McKee joined by Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown on this very important edition of the Go Balls 247 podcast because it is Florida week, one of the best weeks of the year. The the air just feels different this week because it's Florida week. And that is part of it's one of the million reasons, Patrick, that makes football season so great.
2: Yeah. Go go Gator, Percy Harvey, <laughs> Tim Tivo.
0: Coach Irving Myers, all all, all time uh, comments there and audio clips. I can't remember that woman's Uh,
2: name, but that video gets me every time.
0: Before we finish our audio clip here on the podcast, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. And I would also like to ask, if you don't mind, if you frequent YouTube if you don't mind to go like the Go Vols 247 YouTube page. We have started that up here recently, posting press conferences of of coaches, of players, our no huddle that we do. We post that on there as well. So if you could go like uh, that YouTube page of Go Vols 247, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Uh, Ryan, I mentioned that you were at the Knoxville Quarterback Club, or I guess you mentioned it, and then I mentioned it again. But as we mentioned in the first segment, you were over there down on the river. Talking to some other Vols, you got to speak with the greatest of all time, John Campbell Jr. You also got to speak with Tyler Barron. Uh, Mike Eckler spoke, and Lord knows he's always an interesting conversation. Uh, did you pick up on anything noteworthy down on the river this morning? Yeah, so not not
1: a whole lot from the players. Uh, you know, as a Q and A Q&A format, Jimmy Himes asking uh, asking some questions for for John Campbell and, uh, and Tyler the, Barron. The so that,
2: thought the thought to be retired, Jimmy Himes.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's he's easing into retirement, I guess. But he uh yeah, nonetheless he is uh he did he did a good job with that. But a lot lot of lot of kind of stuff we had discussed with those guys recently from the Waffle House stuff with John Campbell to uh you know Tyler Barron's good start to this season. Uh you know, didn't get a lot of rehash of the Austin P game or anything really fresh there. So not not a whole lot to report on the player side of things. Mike Eckler, the outside linebackers coach and special teams coordinator, always entertaining. Uh, in, in, in any setting, but especially in that setting where he's kind of playing to a crowd, uh, always has a few good one liners. And he did again on Monday, um, said D Williams, uh, said that guy, and this direct quote, that guy, there's not a better returner in college football, maybe in football. He's that special. Um, said he only had about, uh, 19 yards. I believe it was 18 on two punt returns, but said it looked like a video game. Um, just the, the little bit that he got to do Saturday, um, was as you might imagine, uh, a, not defensive, but definitely, um, you know, kind of st- stood up a little bit for for some of the flack that he knows. Jackson Ross obviously has caught um, in his first two games as Tennessee's punter. Um, you know, it essentially took the blame himself for some of Ross's problems in the opener, said, I won't point a finger. I'll point a thumb. That's on me. Um, and said, so that guy, you just wait. I mean, the other day he had four kicks, averaged 43 yards, 15th straight game. We've given up zero return yards. And again, that guy's special. And he says you haven't seen it yet, but look at the body of work at the end of the year. And, and he believes you will see uh, an impressive body of work from Jackson Ross. Uh, also talked about sort of the uh, um, what what Josh Heupel, what Josh Heupel, I believe, talked about last week on Vol Call, sort of how they ended up scouting him via a Zoom call and uh, the impressive things, uh, kind of remarkable things he said that uh, that Jackson Ross did during that uh, during that Zoom call where they were able to see. Um, without him flying to Australia, which he was going to do at one point uh, to see him, was able to see what Jackson Ross could do, and so just said he's got freakish ability. And and even though Patrick, you and I have pointed out that Jackson Ross has been look looks like he's been better when he has punted left footed, um, says when he really gets going, he's not sure which which foot he he kicks best with. Um, he thinks it's more uh, more even than it's looked so far. So. Um, yeah regardless not surprised to hear that though I know they've got a ton of belief in in Jackson Ross and really um, really like him Um, and and, and so not not shocked to hear to hear that but certainly had some good things to say about Jackson Ross and also kind of credited Roman Harrison um, talking about his outside linebackers for some of James Pierce's growth talked about Harrison being kind of the basically just the perfect model for some from some of those younger guys and said um, you know he's not sure there's anybody that plays harder than Roman Harrison so uh, the way he sort of just approaches things and, and works on and off the field, that, he's, uh, that, that maybe some of those younger guys coming along ha- uh, have to give some credit to Roman Harrison for sort of showing them the way and, and giving them the idea of what to do on a, on a daily basis. So that that's maybe the, the reason for some of those guys having some success, which we have certainly have seen from James Pierce and Joshua Joseph the first two games of this season. So um, always entertaining to hear from Mike Eckler. we got about, uh, about 12 minutes' worth from him, and you'll actually hear him again on Vol Calls on Wednesday night as well. He's the assistant coach who's scheduled to talk after Josh Heupel's segment of that show Wednesday night.
0: While Ryan was Monday morning quarterbacking, Patrick and I were over on campus scouring the new depth chart that Tennessee handed out, and it was different. As I mentioned, there are less oars. This is all just a ruse.
2: This is all just a ruse for you to brag about Jalen Wright being the starting running back.
0: Keenan Peely's injury (laughs) is reflected I know and what Jaylen you're gonna do.
2: You can delay the inevitable.
0: And Jalen Wright is listed as the starting running back.
2: Patrick. <laughs> yeah, yes, he is. And you, you told us. You, you did. We tried to listen, but we. No, actually, we. Did. I, we did. I
0: honestly, I honestly was not going to say anything about how I told y'all Jalen Wright was going to be the starting running back. Don't, but you did it for me. So don't don't lie. I'm not lying. I really was not going to say anything. What what is already known does not need to be said. It's already known that I was right. So uh, I was just going to mention that finally on the depth chart, Jalen Wright is listed as RB one, and then I was going to let you give your takeaways about the depth chart. So you, my friend, are the one that brought up what you thought I was going to bring up. I know you know. Well, I know you know. I know.
2: Now my mind's in a pretzel. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm your, I'm not going to really on the
0: depth chart.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not going to refer too much to the depth chart. I'm going to kind of go by what we saw um, against Austin The P. organizational and, chart? Uh, no, but um, we'll, we'll, uh, it seemed like the offensive line is is where to start. Uh, it seems like well, – it doesn't seem like – I mean, John Campbell is the left tackle. I think he played all but like four snaps at left tackle. He's the guy there. Uh, it seems like Andre Kark is – they seem to want – him to be the guy at left guard. I think he played all but like ten snaps uh in in that game. And uh, you know, what what how does that position look different, I think, is the question if Cooper Mays comes back. Is Ollie mm-hmm. Lane the guy there? Do they let Clark continue to settle in? That's gonna be a question for me. Uh there was less of a split at center between Ollie Lane and Dane Davis. Uh Dane he yeah, got beat pretty bad on on the the only sack Tennessee gave up. Um He got he got some move pretty good. And uh, uh, one of Austin Peay's big guys got to Milton pretty quickly. That was a three man rush. That was uh, when we talk about the the others around Joe needing to be better. That's an example. When Campbell gets beat and Milton has to escape when he has his arm hit because he's got a guy in his face. That's that's other parts of the offense that have to be better. Um, Obviously, Spragans is right guard. I think right tackle. um, That was where the timeshare was between Crawford and Mincy. Uh, If you go by pro football focus grades, Mincy was the highest graded offensive lineman and Crawford was the lowest graded offensive lineman. Uh, I thought Mincy looked good in week one. um, And having gone back and watched some clips of the game, it looked like he uh, uh, maybe had a a pretty solid game against Austin P as well. I'm interested to see, does Mincy get the starting job there? They have listed uh, Crawford as the starter there. There's no more or. um, But that's one that I would maybe, I'll I'll be interested to see. I, I definitely think they'll both continue to play both guys there. Um and really that's that's mainly mainly the only takeaway, um on offense for me in, in terms of the depth chart and what we saw against Austin P. There was also a pretty even split at the cornerback positions between those top four guys, Haddon and Slaughter the starters and then Burrell and Gabe Judy Lolly, behind them we barely saw Brandon Turnage we barely saw Andre Tarantine, so Tim Banks is rolling with his three guys of uh, uh, being tank, uh, Jalen McCullough Wesley Walker had a good game against Austin P. and Tamar McDonald at star um so you know is, is that going to be a thing that you know continues moving forward and uh on the flip side of that i thought brian Marie did a great job of getting all those young line, linebackers some run you know we saw jeremiah t Lander, Caleb perry uh, i think perry was in the game in the first half and then i think midway through the third quarter they had both those guys out there together so um that's going to be important experience for them t lander seems to have done pretty well based on on some of the reaction we, we've gotten from josh highpool from you know elijah herring talked about him pretty good too um uh, on monday so you know, they need that room to grow up pretty quickly with Herring in the middle, uh, with Arion Carter getting some more reps, uh, and obviously Aaron Beasley's the, the linchpin there. But uh, and we know they're going to rotate on the defensive line, so there's really no surprise there. But, um, yeah, that that's, that. that's those are some of the, the depth chart takeaways from some of the tweaks that were made, plus what we saw actually in a game the other night.
0: Yeah, and, and there's not too, too much to read into the depth chart, Ryan, because at, at this point in the season, the depth chart that the team gives out is what we've already seen – throughout the first two games of the season, but to, to hammer home, I I guess, two keys on the depth chart that will be key in winning against Florida on, on weekend this weekend, or or I guess two question marks going into this weekend is is that left guard spot. I I think Tennessee slim simply, if I can speak correctly, simply slides, Ollie lane over to left guard and allows Cooper Mays to, to fill in. If Cooper does in fact play against Florida, you're, you're playing Ali Lane over Andre Carrick. I mean that that one's pretty simple, cut and dry. the The question is how on the defensive side of the ball for me, and, and how big of a gap there is between Elijah Herring and, and maybe Ariane Carter and Jeremiah Tlander. And y'all can call me crazy, but I want to see Tlander as much as Carter and Herring. Uh,
1: I'm I'm not ready to go that far just yet, but I do think I think Carter showed you know the the the, the challenge sometimes of being a young a young linebacker and Tlander you know, coach's son. It's been said before. You know, not surprised to see him go out there and make the most of his of his snaps. But I think I think Carter was uh, may, maybe thinking a bit too much out there in, in his in his first uh, first game of of extended exposure. You know, he, he played a good bit against Virginia too, but a little bit more Saturday night. So I think that that shows uh, even a guy with his ability the, the the challenges of getting in there and 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 playing a lot for the first time. So. Uh Elijah Herring seemed like he played okay in, in his first start you know it wasn't flashy but um but got the job done and it seemed like was in the right for the right places and uh, did it from what I have heard and seen so far seemed like he did a, a fine job as the mic kind of lining things up uh, before the snap the, the things that come with playing the mic position so that um yeah that that's not not a bad thing but yeah that, I think that that group still is worth watching because there was some um there was some variation in the in the play that you got from those guys, and, and without Keenan Peely, it's still a group you've got to keep an eye on going into to s e c play for sure um left guard i I'll be interested what, what what do you think about this patrick? I actually was wondering myself what they would do at left guard i'm a little bit less certain than Ben maybe that it's definitely Ollie Lane. I would have said Ollie Lane all the way going into the season, but the way they've continued to to keep Andre Carrick in there at left guard and also just the way he uh, the way he played Saturday, it seemed like he played a lot better uh, than he did against Virginia. I wonder what they will do there. Will it be a bit of a timeshare maybe once Cooper Mays is back? Uh, and also, just one interesting note uh, obviously, we, we know John Campbell's from Florida, but hey, Gerald Mincy going back to Florida for the first time, you know, he played against his former team last year, but going back to the swamp, I would imagine he's going to be pretty motivated going into this game. Uh, you know, as long as he can channel that emotion the right way, not get a little too antsy. Um, I, I, that's a guy I want on the field in this game. And I wonder if Jeremiah Crawford's performance th- this past week, maybe opens the door for him to, to, to maybe take that, take that job, maybe not take it and run with it. Cause I could see that being a timeshare for a while, but that's, uh, that's, that's one that I'll be interested in seeing sort of how they, how they work that position going forward.
2: Yeah. Ryan, to your point. I mean, it seems, it, it just seems like Gark is their guy right now. Um, now I think uh, it, it's possible that once Cooper Mace does get back, that there is a timeshare there, that that would be my guess. That would be my prediction of, of what's going to happen. But um, we'll we'll have to see. Um, yeah, I I, I do think Carrick was a little more solid uh, in the second game, which you you frankly would expect. I mean, his first game in a new offense with a new team, it's uh it's not it's not going to be perfect, and uh, his second game should be better. And and by everything I've I've seen, it looks like it was and. Um, you know, this is a guy that was. I, I, we weren't like writing him off necessarily one week into camp, but it wasn't looking great. And to his credit, he's kind of stuck with it, and and seems to be, uh, whatever he's doing, they seem to like. So, uh, he, you know, he's worked himself into that position at least.
0: He has, and, and we will see how it plays out on on Saturday. I, I think Ali Lane at left guard uh, makes the offensive line and and starting five better. And I honestly think that there's a pretty decent gap in between ollie lane and, and andre carrick just based off of that virginia game i i, I kind of throw things out the window uh, against austin p i mean that that's how you're supposed to play you, you signed with texas and you transferred to tennessee i i would hope that you look good uh, against austin p uh and, and football is not a perfect sport Obviously, well, there, there's some guys who did since. look
2: good against austin p though so
0: yeah as I was about to finish in my sentence, as we spoke a ton about since Saturday, there, there, there is a passing attack that, that also did not look good. So that that is absolutely a fair point for sure, uh, Patrick. When, when you look at this game on, on Saturday, we'll, we'll, we'll round out this edition of the podcast with, with this question, and, and we will certainly get into more of a preview of the Florida game podcast on Thursday, and then we will have our game day podcast later in the week as well. Uh, to to fully focus on Tennessee, Florida, Saturday night, seven p.m. Eastern, in the swamp. Uh, but this streak that everybody is going to be talking about all week long—Tennessee hasn't won there in the swamp in twenty years, not since two thousand and three, as you mentioned off the top of the podcast. How much do you think it matters? Jacob Warren essentially said that that talking point does not matter whatsoever. And and I kind of agree with him. Uh the these young guys on this football team, these coaches, they don't care about what's happened in the past with Tennessee football. Uh, th- this in their mind is a different version of Tennessee football. And this is a good football team. And a lot of those teams that did go down to the swamp were not very good. Uh, not that all of them were bad teams, but a good chunk of them were bad teams. So uh, I I just think the culture that Josh Heupel has instilled and the mindset that he has instilled, I I don't think that that's going to have anything to do with the outcome of of Saturday's game. the The outcome of Saturday's game is going to be based on whether Tennessee can slow down Florida's rushing attack and if Joe Milton and and the receivers can hit on those passes over the middle of the field.
2: Yeah, I I, I, I agree. agree. I I thought he's yeah I thought the streak is. Um... It's gonna be talked about. Obviously, fans have built up some some scars twenty fifteen, twenty seventeen. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some uh my first game that I saw down there was fifty-nine twenty, uh like Tebow's second year, I think. Florida brought in Cam Newton. That's how good Florida was at the time. Florida hasn't always been that good though. That's that's what's been the frustrating part of this series, I think, for Tennessee fans. And um I, I think there was some of that in the stadium last season. In the first half when Tennessee was like a 10-point favorite, they were the better team. They were expected to win, and, and Florida was hanging around and, and led, I think, well in the second quarter. And there was some – you could kind of sense some nervous energy in the stands. That's just kind of how fans – Tennessee fans viewed this game in this series. I, I don't think there's much credence to it in, in inside the program. I think the bigger question is two things, and we've heard Josh Heupel say this a lot. They have to settle in better. Uh, and the second concern I have is that this team was not great on the road last season. And that's a step that Tennessee needs to take if it wants to take the next step, because um, you know, you have to go in and win a big road game from time to time, uh, especially in this league. And yes, Tennessee won at, at Pittsburgh in overtime last season. They didn't play great that game. They got off to a slow start in that game. That stadium was 85% full and there were a ton of Tennessee fans there. LSU was a a, a emphatic road win for Tennessee it was a ten, it was a fan takeover first of all, and it was also 11 a.m. kick. And Tennessee got off to a great start in that game. And you saw it happen. They go to Georgia, the stage and the and the atmosphere. Tennessee didn't handle it very well. Everybody knows that. They got to South Carolina as a as a three touchdown favorite. Let South Carolina start off hot, and then you get the crowd in the game, and it it makes for a tougher night than anybody expected. So all that is to say, which you know, has, has Tennessee taken the step it needs to to go in on the road. And, and that's why I think the start of this game is really important. One for two reasons. Um, because if you can take floor, if you can get Florida playing catch up, that's not Florida's game. They want to run the ball. They want to play action off of it. Um, they're not a team that's built to make up a lot of ground uh, in a short period of time. Um, and the other thing is, is, you know, Florida's not been super great again under Billy Napier. So if you, if you get up early, if you get up 14, nothing in the first quarter, those natives are going to get restless, and that's going to take the crowd out of the game. It's going to make your night easier um, if you're able to kind of take the crowd out of the game early. You know, the, Florida is looking for um, a win that will kind of get things rolling under Napier. They they want that that big. I don't want to say signature win because Florida fans probably will never say that Tennessee is a signature win given how the series has gone. But at this point, it is. I mean, you look at this game two years ago those programs have gone in opposite directions. It was sort of a turning point because Florida's kind of careened off a cliff since then, and Tennessee has taken off. So this kind of feels like another one of those moments where if you're Tennessee, you want to go win this game to keep Florida kind of down a little bit. Whereas if you're Florida, you're looking at a chance to try to get your program going under a second-year coach. And this is an opportunity at home uh, against a a top 10, or Tennessee's ranked 11th in the AP poll, You know, a, a, a top 15 team, and get yourself a a win that can get things going in the right direction and, and sort of grab back some of the momentum swing that's happened over the past two years for these two programs. So it's an important game for Tennessee on a lot of levels and, and they've got to go handle the atmosphere. They've got to settle in as Josh, as Josh Heupel says, and and they've got to go play better than they have so far this season.
1: Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. The, the roles have reversed in this game. And that's the part that I think hasn't been said enough about this series, especially when Tennessee has gone to the swamp. Um, you know sure Tennessee's had a couple of chances to win there you know most notably 2015 and 2017 i believe you wrote um sunday patrick that 2015 was the last time Tennessee was favored in this game uh in the swamp so that that's the thing is that florida florida was always kind of the better team even when Tennessee missed some of those opportunities to win at the swamp it was never that Tennessee was better and absolutely should have won it's that they had chances to win and in the end the better team pulled it out probably on paper for the most part now the 2015 is an exception to that but 2017 i mean that that was a game tennessee could have won they ended up losing and that was the team that got butch jones fired so let's not act like these were great teams that uh continually blow opportunities to to win at the swamp it's mostly been a series that florida has won at home because florida's been the better team on paper and has been the favorite to to win those games and they and it's a tough place to play that's the other part of this is uh, I think that's the best point you, 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 you made there, Patrick. They've got to play better on the road. That's the that's the, the, the biggest thing uh, to me about this game, aside from just the offense getting on track, because they've, they, they've got to be able to put that behind them a little bit. They, they got maybe not rattled, but they seem to be affected, and most teams are. There's a reason there's, there's such a thing as home field advantage. Um, they, they didn't seem to play their best on the road last year at Georgia and at South Carolina, especially um, if, if they let Florida build some momentum uh, that that's that can be a tough place to play now the the flip side to that is i don't think florida fans have a ton of belief in this team right now based on that season opener against utah i'm sure they'll be excited night game will add to the atmosphere i'm sure but if, if tennessee gets up on them it's going to be really easy for this crowd to to kind of get out of the game i think and uh and for tennessee to kind of um be, be able to negate that uh that advantage for florida a little bit so you, you don't want to let them hang around in this game, and it's, uh, in this case, one of the rare cases where I think Tennessee is pretty clearly the better team on paper. So I, I look at this, and, and I don't I don't weigh the, the 20-year drought uh, in winning at Florida at all. I, I think I, I don't think players carry the weight of past losses, really, except for the ones they've played in. So maybe, what, two of those for some of the fifth- and sixth-year guys on this team? I, I just don't think that matters. I, I wish Wes was part of this conversation, because I know he for years he disagreed with this he, he always thought that they could sort of feel the weight of of fans expectations when it came to games like this uh and so he he kind of had a I'll believe it when I see it approach to Tennessee winning at Florida y- at least years ago he might feel differently now but that's that's kind of how he's felt about it in the past but I I tend to think players don't care about those things but it's the kind of place where if you start letting a lead slip away like they did in 2015 you know things like that and you let that momentum build and let the crowd be a factor late in the game that's where It's a place where things can snowball on you in a hurry because it is such a big home field advantage for Florida. This team needs to avoid that, avoid costly turnovers like Tennessee teams have had in the past, and play their game and and be efficient offensively. If they do that, I think they win the game.
0: It's certainly a huge game for both teams. Maybe not because of SEC East implications or anything along those lines like we saw in the late 90s, early 2000s with, with this matchup. But just in terms of Florida needing this to, to kickstart possibly the Billy Napier era, because if they lose this game on Saturday, my gosh, Florida fans are just going to be unhinged in regards to, to Billy Napier. They're going to be very, very upset. But on the flip side, if Florida could win, then again, like I said, it, it may spark the Billy Napier era. And for Tennessee, you don't want to be the spark. You, you want to continue to show that you are a healthier football program right now than the Florida football program. Uh, and, and also to to show that, hey, we are going to compete for championships this year, both in the SEC and nationally. So it's a huge game. I'm excited for it on Saturday. The Go Vols 247 crew will be headed down on Friday. We will all be in attendance in the swap on Saturday night. And we, will, of course, will have plenty of coverage all week long leading up to prime time kickoff with Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler on Saturday night. Patrick Brown, thank you for your time on this Monday afternoon.
2: You're welcome. Good to see you on Zoom after seeing you uh, a little bit earlier. Happy birthday, by the yeah, way. Absolutely,
0: Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate that. Ryan, thank you for your time today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ben. Happy birthday as well. And uh, look forward to seeing you guys uh, again in person tomorrow
0: absolutely i appreciate the birthday wishes and on behalf of the Govals 247 crew i do want to say we are thinking of all those who were affected on this day 20 years ago or 22 years ago hard to believe it's already been 22 years since that horrific event took place in new york city um, but we will not forget and we are thinking of all those who were impacted uh, in in so many ways uh, on that horrific day in this country. So, uh, don't mean to end on a sour note, but do want to end uh, with with sending good positive vibes to to all those who have been affected for for so so many years, and and we obviously will never forget. For Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown, I am Ben McKee. This has been another edition of the Go Balls Two Four Seven Podcast.
3: There's that button, and now I can say. at govals 247com You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world and with us who are on the staff. Uh, And and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got. And you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs. And that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, et cetera. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian. Uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that. All of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That that is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com.